So today I want to talk about what I should know about the church. What I should know about the church. So please notice the screens. I'll just use this. Thank you. So this, I hope this is the last time you see the screens. I hope. We have a good plan in place. I'm hoping next week we're going to have new screens, and those will be in some other part of the building. So um, that's, we're working on that. It's getting really close, okay? Um, first thing I want to point out is the church was God's idea. It's not man's idea. It's not a denomination's plan. This whole thing called the church, what we know as the church, is God's idea. Um, it was God's idea from the very beginning. In fact, before creation, according to Ephesians chapter 1. But it was Jesus who first spoke of it by name. And it came from his promise. Jesus gave a promise to his disciples. And uh, it, it, we find that in Matthew 16, uh, verses 15 through 18. And so Jesus has this question. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? So he's asking his disciples, guys, you've hung around me for a while. He's wanting to know, what do you think about the things that I've told you? Who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter got that one right. Now, he, you know, he messed up a few times with Jesus and was kind of embarrassing, but this one... It was right on the money. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for it was not revealed to you by by flesh and blood, not not by humans, but by my Father in heaven. Uh, Peter has been spiritually connected and tracking with God. Verse 18. And he says, And I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church. So, Interesting in the original language, which would be Greek, that you are Peter, and that, that is Petros, and that's a masculine word in Greek, and uh, it, it means rock. And so he's saying, on you, Peter, you who are the rock, on this rock, but he changes the word from Petros to Petra, which is uh, neuter, and it's not Peter. It's something else. And, and the question is, Well, what was the rock? Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Um, So what's the rock? Well, it was not a person. It was not Peter. It was not the Pope. Um, It is the commitment of Peter. It is the uh, confession of Peter. You are the Messiah the Son of the living God. It's who Jesus is and why he has come. That's the confession. That's the rock. And Jesus said, on that, I'm going to build my church. The key phrase is, I will build my church, said Jesus. He said, he would do it. He says, I will do it. Um. It's a promise of Jesus' future plan, Jesus' work, Jesus' desire. It's his plan. 
He's going he's gonna to provide the resources. He says, I will. Um, and then he says, build my church. Now, maybe to some people's surprise, it was never meant as a physical be, be, uh, building. It's not a physical structure that Jesus was talking about. He's talking about the church. He's using a building as a metaphor. But he's going to be building his church. And the word is ecclesia, and it means called out ones. It has nothing to do with the building. It has never intended to have anything to do with the building. And by the way, I just hope when we talk about where our building is, we just say the church building rather than the church. So that we'll just keep that clear. The church is a called out group. It's an assembly of believers in a local place. He says, I will build my church. It's his church, Jesus said. His church, not my church. Not, we can say it's our church, but he's the one who is the possessor. He purchased us. He redeemed us with his life, with his blood, and we are his. It's, it's his church. That's a great comfort to me. It's his idea. It's his plan. He's doing it. He will do it. I just need to join in in the plan that he has. And then there is his promise, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Um, the power of spiritual darkness will not overtake his church. The power of Satan and his demons will not prevail against it. Jesus wins the spiritual war. It doesn't mean we're not going to have struggles. It doesn't mean we're not going to experience loss. But the bottom line is Jesus has the ultimate victory and the church has the ultimate victory standing with Jesus. Okay, secondly here, it started in Acts chapter 2. The church got its start in Acts chapter 2. Sometimes I use the word church plant. I always mean a start for a church, a church startup. Sometimes church plant seems strange to people. It's the idea of putting something in a place and then growth happens. And part of that comes from the church as an organism. Think about that. Um, the church got its start in Acts 2, and let's, let's build on that. So let me just give a little context here to Acts chapter 2. Um, Acts, it, what's happened in Acts chapter 2 so far? So um, you have to think in terms of sometimes we forget when we start reading like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the, that's the story of Jesus, the Gospels. We forget that those people were under the Old Testament, under the authority of the Old Testament Scripture. And Jesus' appearance was a, was a time of transition. The, the new had not come yet. It was the appearance of Jesus, and he said, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, so there's a transition in happening. The king is present. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is present with Jesus, but not until his death is it inaugurated. And now the church is ready to be birthed. So uh, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus had lived by then. He had died and been crucified by then. He had been resurrected by then. And in Acts chapter 1, he ascended into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God. And he is alive right now, directing his church, by the way. So prayer does really matter. 
He is alive. So Jesus ascended into heaven, and he told his disciples, guys, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to hang out there together, and I want you to pray. The church was birthed in prayer. From Acts chapter 1, 120 followers of Jesus gathered and prayed. And, and Jesus said, I'm going to be sending you someone like me. It would be the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2 is when it happens, and it's when the church gets its start. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. So Peter stands up, and he's preaching, okay? And it's an amazing message because he's preaching in Jerusalem. Um, that's where they crucified Jesus. It's pretty risky and bold to stand up where Jesus had been crucified, and the disciples are a bit fearful. And then Peter preaches. He says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. And he doesn't, he just lays it out. Guys, you are responsible for what happened to Jesus. This Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. When the Lord, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Next slide. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. He's saying, you need to turn to God. You need to come to God on his terms, not your terms, not human terms. You can't invent the terms that, that you want to have to be right with God. You need to come to God on his terms. You need to come to God and embrace by faith his message. And, and then he says, and then what you do, you, you, that's what's going to, where you're going to be saved from the penalty of your sin. And then the logical thing, and this is what they did in the New Testament, they were baptized as followers of Jesus. And, you know, we're going to have a baptism in, in November. But, you know, the New Testament really didn't know such a thing as a believer who had not been baptized as a follower of Christ. Okay. Um, so just to finish that out, and Peter says, you'll, then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. That, that's, uh, that will be the gift that comes to identify your salvation. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. Next slide. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. That's how the church got its start. It was birthed in prayer. And if, if you read the story of Acts, you see the church begins to grow quickly. And with the growth of this new group of followers of Jesus came persecution right off the bat. So what happened? The church just kept growing. The church just moved out. It didn't stay in Jerusalem. They just kept expanding. And, and then churches got started in other towns. This all happened very quickly in the first century. Um, so the church was God's idea. And um, he was the one who brought it into existence. And the bridge was God's idea. And he's the one who brought the bridge into existence. Um, secondly, the church is now the body of Christ. The church is now called 
the body of Christ. Now think about this. You know, I know I'm, this is just, I'm reminding some of you. It's a review for many of you. Uh, so Jesus died and he was resurrected and he ascended into heaven. So Jesus left. But he put his followers in charge of this new mission. And in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, when God came on believers through the Holy Spirit, Jesus' body is now on earth through his church. He's in heaven at the right hand of God, but now Jesus is working through his body, a group of people. Um, the church was formed and shaped by the work of the Holy Spirit. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. We looked at this briefly last week. Uh, so just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So what Jesus is going to, or what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, um, like the human body that has is made up of many different parts, body parts. Uh, so it is with Christ. His body also has many different parts. And then he, he says, for we were all baptized by one spirit. We talked about this last week. So as to form one body. And, and as I understand, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it happens to all believers. It's not just for special believers. Uh, the Corinthian church was one of the most worldly churches, in fact, maybe the most worldly or secular church in the New Testament, and all of them had been baptized uh, by the Spirit. And, and simply, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, my understanding is, is that God, through the Holy Spirit, takes us out of the sphere of darkness, spiritual darkness, where we are before we come to faith in Christ. And when we come to faith in Christ, he places us into the body of Christ. He immerses us, and now we identify with the body of Christ. We are in Christ. That, how we get there? We were baptized by the Holy Spirit. We are united with Christ. How did that happen? We were baptized by the Holy Spirit. The New Testament describes this union over and over and over and over in the New Testament. Uh, I'm going to jump to the next one. The church was designed by God to be a unit with many different moving parts. Um, the church is both organic. It's a living organism. It's a spiritual body. It's alive because of God in us. But we are also an organization. We're not just an organization. But we are to be organized to do God's will. It's one of the reasons why churches need doctrinal statements and constitutions to bring some kind of organization that is recognized that is God-honoring. Um, so the, the church was designed with many moving parts. First um, Corinthians 12, uh, verses 4 through 20. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, just talks about how even so the body is made up of one uh, part, not one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. So he's going to go, go through and mention different body parts. And he's saying, everyone is needed. That's the whole idea. The same is true in the body of Christ. We're going to be different. We have different, we're, we're, we're different people. 
We're unique. We have different strengths and abilities and spiritual gifts, but we're all needed. Um, and that's uh, the next point as well, which is just a little different wrinkle, a little different scripture. The church needs every part actively functioning. And the passage is uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 27. And I'm not going to go through all of that one either, but you can because just right down the line, the Apostle Paul gives us more information about uh, the body, the spiritual body of Christ. And every part needs to be actively functioning. Um, and, he, and, he, and he talks about how we, just how we're different. S -s in the human body, we have uh, some parts are on display and some parts are not on display. Uh, if you saw the body parts that aren't on display, it wouldn't be very impressive. And um, some parts are more on display in the body of Christ than others. His point of all of it is, you know what? There's nobody that's superior and there's nobody that's inferior. We are equal in the body of Christ. Thirdly, this is where I'd like to spend a few minutes. The church has responsibilities for every member. This, by the church, I mean God's plan for the church, has responsibilities for every member. First of all, we are to be devoted to one another. We are to be devoted to one another. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So if you read through the New Testament, you'll find there are many many verses that talk about our relationships in Christ. We have this spiritual union in Christ. We are part of the body, and we are in relationship. We are to be devoted to one another in love. That speaks of a high commitment. Um, that, that, sometimes that's hard for the American culture. It's not hard for the church in China to understand it. But it's hard for our culture because we have so many distractions and so many things we want to do. You know, every, all the messages we get is talk about how we need to pursue our own happiness. But devotion to one another in love is a high priority for God. Um, this is one of the reasons why we value church membership at the bridge. It's not that church members have a higher standing, but it's because... Uh, in going through the Welcome to the Family class that we're going to start in September, um, it's an opportunity to find out where we stand on um, core doctrine, where we stand on our values. And um, it's sort of a way to understand the DNA. And um, it's, it's a way of getting everyone on the same page. And I've been so impressed with the unity we've had at the bridge, you know, we, we, we've walked through COVID. We've walked through whether we're going to wear masks or not. We've walked through uh, elections. We've walked through um, vaccines. Now, we didn't all agree on those things. There were lots of different opinions, and it's okay. Those, those things aren't the most important thing. It's, it's the mission. It's why God has called us here, and we've had that unity. And I really think our welcome to the family 
class is one of those things that helps us understand what it means to be on the same page. And, and that's the, the, the next point. We are to be of the same attitude of mind with one another. Uh, the older translations say being of the same mind. That doesn't mean we just all agree on everything. Not going to happen. Because we are so unique, different experiences, different education, different parts of the world, different parts of the country. Um, but we can have the same attitude of mind being like Jesus. It means a humble approach to life. It means having same values, same commitments to core beliefs. It, it's being on the same page about advancing the kingdom of God. Um, next, we're to accept one another. We are to accept one another. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You know, we just recognize how different we are. Um, you're, you're different than me. Um, we just have, we have, we bring so many different things in our backgrounds. You know what? It's okay. It's okay. But whatever your experiences are and whatever you've done um, in the body of Christ, you can be accepted. That's what we, that's what we do. We, we accept. We're gracious about accepting people. We're we're all in a process, and none of us have arrived, arrived and um, in the church. We accept one another. Uh, next, we are to put up with each other's idiosyncrasies. How about that? I don't think the word idiosyncrasy is in the Bible, so I just made this up. Um, no. Um, so... I've discovered that you have personality flaws. Some of you have behavior flaws. Um, sometimes we are hard to get along with. You know, some of us have rough edges. And that's why uh, Scripture teaches us uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. The Apostle Paul writes, Be completely humble and gentle. What a good approach. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That means cutting people slack. You know, people are going to be different than us. It's okay. We don't have to pour them into our mold. It's about us being poured into Jesus' mold together. And then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Whether you, there is an election whether there's a pandemic, whether it's the economy, whether the government says something we disagree with, let us make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's what we do in the body of Christ. Next, we are to encourage one another. And who doesn't need encouragement? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 11, Paul writes, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Encourage. Um, 
Be the cheerleader of other people around you. When somebody is serving you, say thank you. Tell them that you appreciate that. Um, we, you know, when you encourage, you know, we bring words of hope rather than words of discouragement. The next one is we are to admonish one another. Um, this is not quite as popular as the others. Um, so I'm sorry about that. It's kind of important, though. How many people, raise your hand if you like to be admonished. Okay, I don't, I don't always uh, appreciate it. Uh, I, I learn from it. I've learned a lot when I listen to my wife, and it's very helpful. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. There it is. As you t in our relationships, this is one another. This isn't just, you know, pastor's sermon. This is in our relationships. When, when, we, when we see each other during the week, and it may be a one-on-one -on -one situation, um, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, assuming that we're all going to embrace that message of Christ and, his, his, uh, and follow uh, his lifestyle. The way of Jesus, as, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There is a place where we teach one another. It can happen in a restaurant where you share what you know from Scripture with another believer. There is a place to admonish one another, which means sometimes we need to be reminded by another believer about the truth. Sometimes we may slip off course. Sometimes we may fall down spiritually. Sometimes we just may be disobedient. And it's appropriate for another believer to come alongside and say, Hey, are you doing okay? Uh, what's happened here? And um, just help you to be accountable. That's what it means to uh, admonish one another, to help someone get back on course. That's why we are to speak the truth in love. Maybe it's going to be a friend. Uh, maybe it's um, a spouse. Maybe it's a parent. Or maybe a child would admonish you as well. Also, we're to forgive one another. Ephesians 4, 32, we are to forgive. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Boy, it really helps if we're kind and compassionate and forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. You know, some people are going to offend you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to do things that make you mad. And the scripture says, you're called to forgive them. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve to be forgiven. But that's how Jesus wants to do it. As far as it depends on us, we are to be at peace with all people. And uh, we're called to forgive. Well, why? Well, because as a Christ follower, 
Jesus forgave me. I'm a forgiven person. If I'm a forgiven person, why wouldn't I want to forgive other people so they can experience it too? Next, we are to pray for one another. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Um, so think of, the, think of an environment where not only did we forgive people, but think of, oh, we also confess our sins. How would you like to be around people who are honest? When they fail, they say, I'm, I really blew it. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Confessing their sins to one another. Well, yeah, I'd like to be around people like that who are honest. What, what about being around people who forgive you when, when you get off course? Jesus designed his body to be really healthy. Um, then we're to serve one another, Galatians 5.13. Paul writes, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That's really awesome. We are called by God when we place our faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven. We're no longer condemned. We, we stand before God and declared righteous. And we're free from the penalty of sin. We also have been put in a place where we can overcome sin. And we are free to walk with Jesus but we need his power. There is no condemnation. We're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh because we, we do that sometimes. We use our freedom just to meet our needs. We're not going to be condemned. Jesus said, I won't be condemned. And we take our freedom too far and we can indulge our own desires that that's, gets us off course, and that's dangerous. Rather than indulging in the, uh, the flesh, serve one another humbly in love. Um, we are called to serve each other. A lot of ways to do that. Um, I'm just thinking about what's going on today. Uh, we have people in Bridge Kids who are serving us. We have people in the nursery who are serving us. We have ushers and greeters today who are serving us. We have a worship team who is serving us. We have a tech team in the back that always keeps our service uh, online and for us to have access to. We have people serving us. That's, that's Sunday. We have other people during the week that might be leading growth groups. Um, we have 412, people serving in 412. They're serving us. They're, they're serving one another. Uh, but not only that, that's, what, that's just within the body right now, but there's opportunities during the week where we can serve each other. We can serve people who aren't in the Bridge family because that's who we are as followers of Jesus. The last one in this section is that we are to love one another. We are to love one another. John 13, 34, and 35. This has been really powerful throughout the history of the church. Jesus said to his followers, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you, you who are Christ followers, 
You who are my disciples must love one another. By this reputation, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. This was an evangelistic strategy of Jesus. This was a tractional for the church. Love in the body of Christ. Love that's apparent. Love that it's displayed in our relationships and who we are when we relate to people inside the church and outside of the church. Jesus said, you send a message to your world of what God's like and, and what his church is to be like. Last point, number four. The church has one overriding mission. And, and we know this is Jesus is the head of the church. Um, Colossians 1.18 says, As he is the head of the body, the church. He is the Lord. He's the one in charge. He is the leader of the church. He's the brains. He's the executive director. He is sitting at the right hand of God right now, directing his church. Also, Jesus assigned every Christ follower the same mission. Every Christ follower has the very same mission. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Um, you've seen this many times. I expect you might see it in the future. Jesus said to his followers, after he was resurrected, before he was ascended into heaven, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. That's what, what, that's the mission, make disciples. How do you do that? Well, you have to share the good news so that people understand and come to faith in Jesus. We call that evangelism. And then it's about discipling or helping people grow and helping people understand the scriptures. And one of the first things for a follower of Christ is to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Christian baptism. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And there's a promise that he would be with us to the very end of the age. Teaching them to obey, lots of good stuff, right? No, it's everything. It's a total commitment to following Jesus. We, we, the way we say it at the bridge is we want to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Jesus. Connecting with God is about evangelism. Helping them and developing them into fully devoted followers is teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Every once in a while, I've asked the question in the past, but it's just good to ask it every once in a while. If you were to rate yourself on full devotion to Christ today, and sometimes I've used the graph of 1 to 10, you know, if put 0 is no relationship with Christ and 10 is fully devoted follower of Jesus, where would you say you are on the scale of 1 to 10? How would you rate yourself? Are you a 10? Are you a 9? Are you a 4? Are you a 7? In your own mind. And then, then I always ask the question next is, Okay, we're all at different places. Okay, what will it take for you to move up one? What growth steps do you need to take? And consider doing that. Um, 
Very last point. You finally made it. Jesus desires that his church strive together to accomplish, accomplish this mission. Philippians 1.27. The Apostle Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, whether it's election, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's a failure of government officials or the economy, whatever it is, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then, Paul says, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as, for, as one for the faith of the gospel. Striving together. That's effort. It's hard work. It's like, the, it's like a picture of a runner. Think of the body of Christ as a runner. And we're all moving together into the future on mission. And we're just trying to, trying to reach the goal. And so Paul says, stand firm in one spirit. That's unity. Church is a team sport. That's good news. The mission is a team sport. I don't mean to lower it to sport, but sometimes it just helps to, you know, to. We have a mission and we don't have to do all of it alone. We do it together. We are better together for the faith of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, for God's mission. It's priority one. Over 25 years ago, I heard a phrase that really grabbed my attention and uh, really resonated with me. I heard this phrase, the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Now, I, I learned all the criticism that went with that because, you know, right away there were Christians who wanted to say, well, you know, the church is not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. I know that. But Jesus left his body in charge of his mission until he comes. And we are his body, and Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Serving Christ and his mission is one of the most rewarding things you will ever do with your life. It's not about going to church. It's about being the church. Jesus gave his church two ordinances, and that's how we're going we're gonna to close our time today, and we're going to celebrate communion together. Jesus gave two ordinances, that is, two instructions. We can say two laws. One is baptism. Um, and baptism is a picture of a person's conversion, identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. And the other one is communion, um, sometimes called the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Table. And what is it about? It's about the bread and the cup, identifying with the body and blood of Christ, his death. His death is central to all that we are and all that we do. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So today we're going to celebrate the good news.
that Jesus died for us. He died in our place. I deserve the death, and he took mine onto himself. And today we remember that. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We, we tend to forget, and he wanted it to be central. And the Apostle Paul said, let a man or a woman, let a person examine themselves before they share in this time of communion, before they eat the bread or drink the cup. And so we are to let God examine us. And if, if we have sinned, we should confess that before him. So let's bow in prayer and um, let's just talk to God together. Father, I just want to come before you and, and give you thanks. Thank you for the privilege to be a part of your church. Thank you for Jesus who lived and died for us. And we want to acknowledge that. We want to remember that today. God, right now, as we just um, are here as a church gathered, may your Holy Spirit shine his light on us, and may, may you examine us, God. May you uh, show us our faults, show us our sin. And may we just be honest with you and, and confess our sin to you privately and silently. And then, God, we're so mindful of the promise you've given us. 1 John 1, 9. It never, never gets old. If we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us of all unrighteousness. Thank you, God, that you've made a provision for us when we sin as followers of Jesus. We acknowledge we're not perfect. We're far from it. And we never want to be hypocrites. We want to be honest with you. Thank you this morning for the bread that is a symbol of your body that reminds us when we hold it. Thank you for the cup that is a symbol of your blood as we experience that and drink it together. It's a symbol. Thank you that Jesus died in our place. Amen.